Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, host of The Big Picture. Did you just see the latest tentpole blockbuster? Or a surprisingly fun new movie on a streaming service? Or maybe you just want to bone up on the greatest films ever made? From reviews to rankings, career retrospectives to movie drafts, and everything in between, The Big Picture is here for you. Listen to The Big Picture for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Kevin Bacon is here. It's been a while. It's been forever. I'm dying <laughs> to get you on. Huh. You well, must get a lot of podcast requests. You've had you've had such a interesting, fascinating career, and you have worked with so many people, and you're a good talker. And yeah, well, it's it's cool the podcasting. The, uh, the 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 format is 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 kind of um, refreshing from an interview standpoint because uh, you know on one hand you think to yourself if you do interviews all the time you don't want to come and sit here for an hour, but on the yeah. other hand. You know, when you do things and you're you're trying to cramp something into a six minute um, bit, and there's a lot of pressure to be, you know, clever and funny in those six minutes, it, it gets kind of old. So the idea that you could actually sit down and have a real conversation is, is is cool, and I like listening to them. You know, I find them fascinating. Yeah, I've been doing. I think I've had mine for twelve years. And I remember '09. I really started to start getting celebrities, uh-huh. and they were also appreciative after because they're so used to that talk show. Six minutes, crouch here, sits down. You tell yeah. your three stories that are prearranged with pre-arranged, the producer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You act out the stories basically, and then you're done, but yeah. you're not actually talking to anybody. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. It's I true. feel like you've been in my life ever since I can remember watching movies. Like you're in Animal House, it was over 40 years ago. Yeah, that was my first one. Yeah. And then Friday the 13th, which had the scariest commercials i think i was like 10 uh-huh. and they'd have those commercials where they would show each murder and you got to the point where like i don't even want this to come on i'm terrified of the commercial <laughs> but yeah so you've been you're now in fifth decade right uh of being an actor i guess yeah yeah or oh, live you mean oh no, no just I'm like sick, being yeah. no be you're being an actor these yeah, five well, decades of acting now okay sure uh, if you say so i mean animal house i guess was uh, about 7 i think i got the part and maybe 77 or something like that. And that was your first break? Yeah. I mean, I, I got out of high school in, in, in Philly. Um, I got out half, half a year early cause I decided to take more classes and they let yeah. me out. I was working in a, in a warehouse, um, packed it, packing and shipping medical books, which is not, not the most exciting gig. And I knew I wanted to be an actor and I knew that I wasn't going to go to college and I was the youngest of six. And so my parents were, cool with that you know they were like all right you know you do what you want to do and and you know i basically packed a suitcase up that summer and uh came to new york with a suitcase and a dream and i got into acting school 
<clears throat> my dad gave me enough money to cover, I think, the first year of the acting school. So what year are we talking about? Like 76? 76. Yeah, it was the yeah. summer of 76. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a cool time to be in New York. Yeah. Like was... New York's exploding mm -hmm. 19 different ways. Absolutely. I'm trying to think if that was Son of Sam or That was not. 77, yeah. That was 77, yeah. right. Yeah. That was Reggie Jackson. <clears throat> and Reggie Jackson. Studio 54, Studio 54. All that shit. I was there, man. I was in, in the middle of all that. In, in, in a good way? Uh, yeah, mostly good. I mean, you know, dangerous for sure. Some yeah. of the things that I was doing and experiencing and and uh, and certainly the, you know, New York was 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 famously not as safe a, a place. And uh, yeah, and the movies were were telling that story a lot, you know, with with. You know things like um, you know uh, Death Wish and you know those totally. kind of you know kind of it, it was supposed to be sort of this terrifying place. But I grew up in Philly, so uh, for me, I got to New York and I felt safer than I'd ever felt in my life. Right. Um, and and my mom was from um, was from New York, and while we were very much a you know because of my father, like a really super died in the wool Philadelphia family, uh, I think she always. Kind of was whispering to my ear, you know, you got to get up to New York. That's where it is. And I felt like as an actor that um, whether I had or not at that time, I felt like I had tapped. I had tapped myself out in terms of what I was going to be able to explore in Philadelphia as an actor. And um, I, I was I was chomping at the bit to get going. That was such a great stretch of movies that had New York basically as a character. You know, you think right. of like the Scorsese stuff and Death Wish and yeah. All the way up to like 1980 and cruising with Al Pacino, but it right. was like the Warriors. <clears throat> right. And New York is just this central piece, and it goes for like eight years, and it's a specific New York. I was in the Warriors for a moment. What? Um, what happened was I I I uh, I got the part, and uh, I was working as a waiter, and I was often on and off as a waiter. I was working as a waiter when I got Animal House, and then I, when the movie came out, I. Uh, had already gotten my job back because I'd spent the money. Yeah, I was not good at um, <laughs> managing my money. I I I I I spent it really really quickly um, yeah. doing things that I shouldn't do. And when the Warriors came around, a lot of young actors in New York got a part because there was a lot of parts, right. you know. And um, I was in I was in this supposed to be in this band called the uh, a gang called the uh, the, Ding, the Dingoes I think. And they were they were the gang that was supposed to have um, dogs. And uh, I was out there spending my money and had a girl with me and uh, I was, you know, dropping, you know, getting like expensive drinks and stuff like that. I'm in this restaurant, never forget, on the Upper West Side. And I see one of the actors who I knew who was already shooting the movie and was playing the, the lead uh, or one of the leads. And uh, I said, so I'm, I'm, you know, chomping at the bit to get to work. You know, how's it going out there? And he goes, oh, you didn't hear and I was like, what? And he goes, you should talk to your agent, man, because I think they cut that gang from the movie. And uh, they had. And so I, I was, was going to say, I've seen that movie 300 times. I don't remember the dog gang. Yeah, there was no dog gang. Kind of would have been nice. We <laughs> kind of needed a dog gang. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, uh, I was like, oh, am I allowed to curse? Uh, yeah, you know, oh, hell like, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, what what the fuck am I going to do? I'm, I, I, I'm broke, and I'm spending money I don't have. And now uh, I am not. I, I quit my job in the restaurant, so I had to go back, ask for my job back. They were nice enough to give me my job back. Um, one of the my agent reached out to one of the producers of the movie, and I believe it was um, Larry Gordon. And uh, he explained to him 
the situation. He said, listen, there's this kid, you know, you cast him in the, in the part. He was going to be one of the dingoes and, and, uh, now he's broke. And, and they kind of took pity on me and they gave me, to me, it was like, I I was so happy to get it, but it was probably like a grand or, or 700 bucks or something like that. It was like a week's, a week's salary, uh, to tide me over. So do you remember, like, especially those early years, like what you got paid for each movie? Because uh, I'm like that. From I'm, I used to be a writer, but I remember, like, the first few years, like, every single anything I got. Uh, no, I don't remember specifically, but I know that for a long time I worked for scale. So whatever, yeah. the, whatever the Screen Actors Guild scale of that. Of it, you know, and it would a lot of t- and sometimes it was it was dependent on whether or not you had under five lines or over five lines. Um, so, I'm, what was your first big paycheck then? Uh, well, when you say big, I'm still waiting. Um, <laughs> I tr- I'm trying to think. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, I I guess I guess probably. Uh, I mean, look, they were all big to me. Yeah, honestly, you know, well, one where you could at least know you were paying for your apartment. Well. Yeah, I I I tell you the first time that I ever really started to make a, a, at least a decent living was when I was on soaps. I was on uh, Search for Tomorrow and The Guiding Light. And the thing about wow. the money on the soaps was it wasn't the money was so outrageous, but it was very steady. Yeah, and you knew that you had a certain amount of episodes you were guaranteed a week. So I was working on the soap for a year on Guiding Light as Tim the Teenage Alcoholic. And uh, I would go at night and do theater, you know, and yeah. and, and uh, I had this steady income. But, you know, a little bit of a turning point or at least, at least, a, at least a, a milestone was when they came back to me after the first year and said, we'd like to extend your contract and we'd like to give you another two years, I think it was. And clearly it was going to be a raise. And, um, you know, when you're in that situation and you don't have another, uh, paying option, it can be a very difficult and scary thing to turn that down. I mean, to this day, if somebody comes with an offer, I have a hard time, I have a really hard time saying no, because I'm always in the back of my mind thinking that I'm going to be out of work. Yeah. Um, and so at that point, based on really nothing other than, um, cockiness, and I guess also knowing that. The, that's not the place where I wanted my career to be. Ultimately, was working at Tim the Teenage Alcoholic. You know, what I mean, I wanted to, I wanted to get past, you know, daytime television. Yeah. Uh, so I passed on the on this offer with with absolutely no job. Um, so you bet on yourself to go to. Yeah, I bet on myself. And, and they uh, were like, "Hey, man, Tim the Adult Alcoholic is going to be. <laughs> we have a lot of plans for that. Yeah. As he grows, as yeah. he gets older. I mean, you know, I I, I looked at the, some of the I. I I would sometimes hang out with some of the older actors who had been on the soap for 20 years. Yeah. Um, and I saw a level of uh, kind of regret from some of them, not from all of them, but from some of them, or a frustration or or the idea that, that this has just kind of become a job so that they could do other things, fish or play golf or whatever it was. And I was like, really, that's not, that's not what I autopilot. want. Autopilot. You know, autopilot, yeah. yeah. And I cared so much about work, but... Two weeks later, I had an audition for Diner. Oh, and there you go. Can we talk Animal House one second? What do you, it's been 40 plus years. Do you remember anything about Belushi at this point? Sure. Yeah, I do. Uh, well, first off, he was the first um, star that I ever met. Yeah. Uh, he was a star. Uh, he was, I mean, he had the number one album. He was on the number one 
comedy show and he had this movie. Yeah, and it, and it it's, it's hard to even picture, but uh, uh, SNL was, you know, was incredibly uh, sort of like hip and iconic at that time. I mean, even I remember in, you know, in bars, you'd be hanging out on a Saturday night and everybody would turn, you know, kill the jukebox and put SNL on uh, like, like it was... Uh, uh, you know, like a, like the World Series or something like it that. It was like 30 million people. Yeah. I don't think there's a TV show, maybe like Game of Thrones got to close to that. But yeah. That was every Saturday night. It was pretty, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty important. And, and so, so he was a very, very big star to meet and actually get to be in a scene with. Yeah. I, in my first movie, you know, I mean, that was, that was kind of mind blowing. But I was, um, I was in acting school. And, uh, uh, as I said, they, they cast me out of acting school. Um, I just went over and, and, you know, met John Landis and, you know, they gave me this part. I didn't know anything about making movies. Uh, I was flown to, to, um, to call, uh, to Oregon, you know, uh, overnight quickly cause they needed me the next day. It was like a whole crazy, like mind blowing experience. And, one of which was to actually meet this iconic figure who at the time was still doing SNL. So he would work on, uh, on Animal House like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They would fly him back to New York on, on Thursday, jump into the show, do Saturday night and Sunday, he'd come back. And uh, he was, I, I really liked uh, um, John. He was very, he was, he was n- very nice to me. He was very uh, generous, I think. I think he knew probably that I was like a New York guy, you know, which a lot of the cast were, were kind of L.A. based. There were there were some New Yorkers. But but uh, and he uh, he one thing that just popped into my head the other day, which 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 was such a fond memory was that I uh, he had a party and um, it was at a house. So we were all staying at this shitty hotel on the side of the highway and he had a house. And that that to me, I was like, wow. The guy, he's, he's got, they got him a house. Like, that blew yeah. my mind, right? It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. And it was, a you know, a rented place, probably wasn't even that big. And, and to have a brunch and be able to throw a brunch for the whole cast and the fact that I got invited because I was kind of definitely low man on the totem pole in, yeah. that, in that hierarchy of that cast, I was really, really touched by that. And then he had bought uh, uh, locks from New York um, from, you know, Zay bars or Barney Greengrass or someplace and had brought it out to Oregon. Um, and at that time to me, lot, like I could, I could afford a bagel, but I could never afford a bagel with locks because yeah. that was like, and I loved it, but it was like super, super expensive. It was like, um, gold. And here was this just piles of this stuff that he was giving everybody for breakfast and like that i just i was like so knocked out by that and then the other thing was that there was uh this thing called a mimosa which was taking perfectly good champagne it was like the most expensive thing in the world and mixing it with orange juice and drinking it before like like 10 o'clock in the morning oh my that, god that blew my mind silly little things like that but when i think of those things i think that that was a it was a good uh it was a good look at what how being um, number one on the call sheet, being the, at, at 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 the top of the food chain in a in a movie, you 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 can either be um, 
you know, generous and um, and and positive and 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 cool about the uh, about the work that you're doing and let that trickle down. Or you can be an asshole and everybody has a bad time. And this was he was not not that. Tom Cruise is like that too, isn't he? Isn't yeah. Tom Cruise one of those trickle down, just super good mood? Yeah, looking out for everybody. Guys? Very energetic. Yeah, Tom. Tom runs uh, to the set. Like he, when they call, like you know, it's a it's a it's a thing with 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 actors, um, you know, uh, people stars. You know, they knock on your door and they tell you that they're ready. And a lot of people, you know, kind of take their time. They saunter there. They don't want to be the 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 first one there. They don't want to have to wait for somebody who is you know somehow uh, less important to them. Yeah. And uh, Tom's kind of the opposite. Like he comes, they knock on his door, and he is charging, charging out of his trailer. He 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 really loves to. He loves what he does. So Diner was the big break, and you don't realize at the time that this movie is creating a template for to become one of the most ripped-off movies of the next 40 years, basically. Interesting that you say that. Um, I think that... I think Animal House was ripped off more than Diner in some ways, because oh, I think I, that... Totally. You know, I mean, Animal House had... You know, uh, it really put a whole genre on on the map, which was some oftentimes um, a period piece, which was like a TNA comedy. You know, um, put, pushing the envelope and raunchy kind of stuff, but at the same time with a little bit of heart. You know that, and that lasted. Yeah, that still goes on, right? Yeah, that's still- that's happening these days. Rocky was another one, and that was nineteen seventy six. That just they remade Rocky right. forty five thousand different ways, right? Diner, surprisingly, um, I think was financed based on the fact that it was going to be that. And uh, really, yeah, Mark Johnson and Barry Levinson, I think, I don't know if they would agree with this, that that they uh, convinced MGM or maybe they weren't even really paying very close attention to it, that they were kind of making that it was a period thing was about a bunch of guys some hilarity was going to ensue. There was an original ending of Diner that involved a football game and people hanging from the goalpost, and I think there were some breasts being flashed. And, and That was the that, era for that, because Caddyshack was doing that, exactly, too. Exactly, yeah. Caddyshack and Porky's and, right. and on and on and on, all going back to Animal House, right? Yeah. But these guys were really secretly, I think, kind of making a different movie. Barry was making a very personal, uh, sometimes like sort of dark and... And um, uh, edgier kind of uh, comedy, and a and a and a, and a, a, a you know kind of a romantic um, a retrospective look at friendship, male friendship, and, yeah. and an era. So when the movie came out, and when MGM saw that movie, they were like, "We're fucked. This is not the movie that we." paid for there was a there was this whole ending sequence that was in the script as i said it was about a big football game and uh, you know it's it's the colts are playing and they're yes the 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 goalpost is going to come down and all kinds of i even can't remember i'd love to see what the pages were and they came to us and they said you know what we're not going to shoot any of that stuff because all this stuff that's going on in the diner between you guys is working better than that so we're going to stay in the diner and we're going to do some more stuff that's going to take place in the diner now, when the movie came out, um, they didn't even want to release it. They um, they thought it was uh, just boring and uh, didn't have the kind of commercial, you know, 
you know, pizzazz that a movie like that needed. And a, Plus, there were way less movies back then, right? Yeah, I mean, way less was, movies, yeah. Yeah. So they, they made a bet on a movie like that, and they weren't going to release it. That's pretty significant. And as a studio movie, it was... You know, it was an unusual studio movie in, in, yeah. in a way because it, it did did have almost like an art house kind of feel. Yeah. Um, but there was a publicist who uh, got behind it and started to slip it to various critics, including uh, Pauline Kael, who oh, wow. uh, fell in love with the movie. Yeah. And um, they sort of, you know, kind of shamed MGM into actually releasing it. Um, and then it, and then it became, I wouldn't say it was a big, uh, box office hit, but it became a, a classic and, uh, sort of a, in a, in a, um, culty kind of way. And it's now, you know, regarded as a great film, but I, I also think it influenced probably two generations of screenwriters, right? It Everybody did. wanted to write their version of guys hanging out sure. and relationships. And yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't ever remember seeing that in a movie before. Now I was a kid at that point, but mm. I don't remember a movie that was able to just basically take dudes hanging out and the interactions between them, and that was the movie. That was a movie, yeah, right. And now that's happened. I would say a lot of times since. Yeah. So, so then did things take off after that, or it just yeah, got better? Not as much as I would have liked. Um, you know, I I think there's a there's a weird kind of uh, there's a weird thing here because. I, in my heart, sort of knew that I was a character actor, and that's what that's what I had been doing on the stage, and that's what that part was. That was, you know, the, the part of Fenwick in, in Diner um, was a character, a supporting character type part. You yeah. Know? Um, and and uh, but I had this idea that there was a certain set of rules that you had to follow in 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 this career traje- trajectory where you would go from you know a small part no no lines to a few more lines to bigger bigger parts yeah to you know uh, an ensemble type thing like diner and then you had to be like the lead of the movie because that's the next step so that was the next step that i really really wanted but it didn't it didn't really happen right away it took it took a it took a long time so i was kind of you know, going up for stuff and people didn't really see me as a leading man. Um, was there one that you really wanted that you didn't get? Oh yeah. I'm sure there was a ton. Uh, cause there was a lot of good movies coming out around then. Yeah. You ended up, I think you win though. Cause you ended up with Footloose, which I ended up with Footloose, which was a monster. It was a, it was a, it was a monster hit. It was, um, it was, and, and unusual because there were things that happened with Footloose that, had not happened before. For instance, um, they 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 had this you know m- mega soundtrack. Yeah. That, and the music, some of it had already come out and was already getting radio play. So they worked the, they worked some of the music on radio before the movie ever came out. So then when kids saw the movie, they were already connected to the songs. Oh, that's know? interesting. Yeah, uh, because you know you you have a very vis- visceral reaction to a song if you've already um, seen it. So yeah, Footloose was a huge thing for me and. He was a leading man. Um, and then I was, you know, kind of like a pop star. But, uh, you know. 84, the greatest pop culture year. Or one of the greatest pop culture years of all time. <laughs> what else was happening in 84? Oh, my God. What was it happening? <laughs> Purple Rain, Bruce Purple Springsteen, Rain. Oh, Michael yeah. Jackson, Thriller, <laughs> MTV's taking off. Right. There's just 
Miami Vice, I think, started that year. There's 45 <laughs> things that were going on. Yeah. And Footloose is one of the things. Yeah, it was one of the things, yeah. My son, uh, my son's 11. He was just finished fifth grade. And the school play this year was Footloose. Oh, really? And he played the Chris Penn character. Oh, cool. The overalls, the Southern accent. But uh -huh. it's funny because I was worried when the remake came out. You probably can't talk about the remake. I hate remakes, uh -huh. especially if the original movie is rewatchable. I'm like, why are we doing a remake? Uh -huh. So I was worried my kids would gravitate toward the remake. But no, the 80 ones. The 80s one, uh, 84 still holds. Oh, good. That's cool. I think that still holds the court. Cool. Yeah, but it was funny like seeing that. He's like three generations removed, but that movie, the premise still works. Mm -hmm. The outlawing dance. I don't know. It was just funny. I also, you did the bike movie the year after that. It was a bomb, though. It bombed because it was on cable forever. So I never knew if it did well or not. Yeah, no, that was my first movie after Footloose. And basically, <laughs> I wanted to do, um, I saw it, and the director kind of pitched it to me as this kind of edgy, Scorsese type sort of uh streetwise New York movie. Yeah. Um about a week before we start shooting they they broke it to me that we were not going to shoot in New York. And then eventually I got the sense that what they really wanted was, you know, footloose on a bike. In fact, there is a there's a bike dance number in there. My girlfriend is it's pretty hilarious if you go back and look at it. It just doesn't fit in the movie at all, but they were like we have to have some kind of a dance number. So I'm on a on a on a uh I was, I was riding a trick bike, like a, a you know, kind of like a circus bike. I, I'd been training with a, 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 a trick, you know, rider, and she's a ballerina, and we're um, like kind of, uh, you know, riding the bike around this in completely improbable loft that we have. It's supposed to be, you know, we. Have, I remember that. Yeah. It was like the nicest apartment in New York nicest City. Nicest apartment, yeah, and it wasn't even New York City. It was <laughs> we shot it in San Francisco, which makes very little sense considering the hills. Anyway, yeah, uh, so. So yeah, that that didn't that didn't do so well, and that was a whole era kind of. That's a, a movie that could only come out in the mid '80s. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. feel like there's any other year that movie even makes sense. But the '80s, they you know a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of drugs back in the '80s. Yeah. A lot of scripts getting approved from yes. people who were like zonked out of their <laughs> That's mind. Right. Like That's right. Like this on a bike, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Twenty million. Yeah. Get that bacon, kid. Yeah. So then you did you find yourself getting. You were just a footloose guy? You were worried about yeah. becoming that? No, I really was. Uh, and it's not what I wanted to be at all. You know, I had I had lost my dream of... My original dream was of, of being that, of a pop, being having some kind of a pop, you know. You know, I wanted to be Michael Jackson or Bobby Sherman or, or you know, Donny Osmond or, or uh, David Cassidy. And David then Cassidy, I, yeah. And then I lost that for wanting to be a serious New York actor. So when, when I actually got the pop stardom, it's not what I wanted. And, uh, and so I think that the choices that I made were had an element of self-sabotage in them after that. I also think I was kind of caught up in that, um, in some of the messaging of, the, of our industry, which just was, okay, now you're the lead. You have to get this much money. You have to, um, you know, be on the poster, you know, um, and... And I'd lost track of who I was. What else happened to make you lose track? Um, like you know, you're partying? Like, what's going on? Um, no, or you, you just know, you didn't know, you lost track of what the finish line was. I kind of lost track of what the finish line yeah. was, and um, I I probably uh, I don't know. I, I should have asked for some advice or some, some, you know. But I was I was a person that. Uh, 
always thought that I knew best. Um, yeah. I've never been someone to uh, um, want uh, guidance from this anybody. You're still pretty young. You're pretty young. I'm at still this pretty point, young, still. yeah. But, but, you know, that's when you need the guidance. <laughs> I thought that was the whole thing. Like the, when you become famous is the age you're trapped in. For the rest of your life, but I don't think that you qualify for that one. But wasn't oh, wow. that like a George Clooney quote? That's interesting. George Clooney was always like, I turned out normal because I didn't become famous until I was like in my 30s. Mm, that's interesting. Well, listen, I think... Uh, I think you turned out all right. I think I turned out all right. Yeah. No, it could I did. go badly, though. Like the Footloose thing could have really gone badly. It could have. And believe me when I tell you that there's been, you know, I've seen a lot of people come and go since you know 1976 or whatever he was dead four years after that movie exactly exactly and um people that you know died or have fallen off the radar or who have um let's put it this way as much fun as i had all through those eras and all the all the you know slightly self-destructive things that i've done I, i i never put that above keeping my eye on the prize yeah you know i really i really is razor focused on um trying to get there wherever there might be so 88 you have john hughes right she's having a baby yeah and that was probably the that was the end of the john hughes run that basically goes from 16 candles high school Breakfast Club, he takes it all the way through, and then it ends up with somebody having a baby. Like, those movies are all kind of weirdly related. Yeah. Well, here's the thing about about uh, that, is that those movies were incredibly successful, including Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And She's Having a Baby was not. She's Having a Baby did not do, do well at the box office. Paramount was not um, happy with it. Uh, it was not even really embraced critically in the way that I I honestly felt that it should have been. I thought it was a really, really good movie. But the problem was is that, you know, we put actors and filmmakers uh, in a box and in a category. And if you sometimes try to step outside of that, people are, can be very resistant to that. And it wasn't a goofy teen thing. John was dealing with stuff that was, was much kind of more poignant and, yeah. and was out of um uh you know out of out of out of step with what what people were used to coming from him and I, and he'd also been incredibly successful i mean just one movie after another as you pointed out were really monster hits and they were not super expensive movies to make and um i always and, felt like the title hurt the movie maybe yeah because I don't really feel like that movie is that much different than About Last Night, which came out two years earlier. But mm-hmm. it's basically young adults dealing with the relationship and life and mm-hmm. stuff happening earlier than they would have thought. Right. But it was presented as this, John Hughes, she's having a baby. And right. I never felt like it was that kind of movie. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Listen, I mean, uh, your marketing is a, is a mysterious and elusive thing. So that that you 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 could be right about that. But that was a big... It was a very big disappointment to me and an even bigger disappointment to John Hughes. I think that he was in, in I think he, I, I don't want to put words in, in his mouth. He's rest in peace. But I, I feel like, um, I feel like it could have been the most personal thing that he made. And, really? And the fact that um, it wasn't uh, embraced in the way that he had hoped, I think was really tough for him. It's tough when you have like five, six in a row like that. Oh yeah, that at some we've seen that happen with so many actors and directors too. Where at some point, 
people are just kind of ready to go, yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, you're yeah, in the crosshairs. Not, you're definitely in the crosshairs. Another, another win. Yeah. And look for a reason this shouldn't work. You had Tremors, which was on cable for, I think, 20 years. <laughs> and it did well, right? Another bomb. That bombed? Yeah, another bomb. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's an outrage. Yeah, Well, I it agree. certainly didn't bomb for 20 straight years on Cinemax and no. TNT and FX and no, everywhere it, else. It was actually an interesting um, uh, era because, you know, when they came to me with Tremors, um, I was in a – I had been going through this, you know, Quicksilver – She's having a baby. I'm sure there's some other ones in there that, you know, really were not, did not do well. And I didn't really know what to do. And uh, my wife was pregnant and my mother was sick and I was running out of money and, uh, you know, had a lot of anxiety about um, being newly married, bringing a child into the world. Uh, this this you know pressure to uh, hold on to a career that I had had and and yeah. not to um, you know n- be able to to support and provide for my family all that kind of stuff and uh, I read this script and while I liked the script and I thought it was funny and cool it was a fucking script about underground worms and <laughs> I I felt like okay I gotta do this because I need the dough but I've really sunk pretty far. Lower than the underground worms. Yeah, like right. I am now. A, I'm now. I'm, I'm living with the graboids, and uh, so we went out to the desert and and made this movie, and um, it was ended up being, you know, a really kind of interesting and cool movie, but it suffered from again with with marketing. Uh, one of the problems is is to be able to sell funny scary that's a very very difficult like, you're right like friday the 13th nothing funny about it you just know saw you know it's all scary um uh the exceptions are you know things like um uh shawn of the dead right that, that's an exception that, that yep. ends up you know working really well but but funny scary is a t- is a tough one to uh to hit i just saw this this movie uh midsummer Oh yeah, Which, people love that one. Yeah, it's a really cool movie, and it has a lot of funny stuff in it. But it's it's but it's scary as fuck. I mean, it's just you know really creepy and really terrifying. So marketing that is a tough thing to do, and I don't think that they again quite uh, nailed it in terms of the marketing. But right around this time is when the blockbuster thing is really exploding, and when people are going and getting videos and taking them home and that becomes like a you know everyone said listen the movie business is over because it's you and no one's ever going to leave their house anymore and and it was it was huge you remember blockbusters they were everywhere yeah and tremors became one of those titles that just did great on video and then on you know cable and on eventually on uh dvd and all that stuff so so it ended up they ended up making a lot of money on it uh, but it was not a, uh, a theatrical hit. Well, then you enter this really fun run, which is very 90s-ish. Flatliners, where you have Julia Roberts, who's suddenly the biggest star in the world. Yeah. And that was like, I think that was her next movie, right? It, she literally became a superstar while we were making the movie. I think... Oh, uh, the movie Pretty Woman came out, yeah. and you're making this, and she's now the biggest female star in the world. Yep. And how do you, how do you think she was affected? What were you watching? 
Um, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Yeah. Because uh, especially if you're going to work, but then now everything's flipped. But you're still going to the same place you were yesterday. Yeah. But now you're massively famous. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I'm trying to think if I can really um, uh, pinpoint. Uh, yeah, listen, I mean, there, that's true. That's what's going on on the in the outside world, and 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 it's it's uh, it's cool, and certainly everybody's excited about it, and she's excited about it. Um, you know, when you go to work, we You're were just doing your job. Yeah, we're doing our job. Yeah. and and it, we had a lot of laughs because uh, it was just a funny group between um, Kiefer and 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 Billy Billy Baldwin and and Oliver Platt and. Uh, and Julia and me, you know, we, we, uh, you know, Joel Schumacher was a direct director of that. And he's a, a very, uh, fascinating, funny, colorful guy. And, and so, um, interacting with him was, uh, it was, it was cool. It's crazy. You worked with her and then the next year you're with Cruz. Who that, was the biggest male that, star in the world? That was yeah. after uh, Cruz was well ninety two or two years later. Okay. I, I have no, like, yeah. I don't, I have no timeline on this. So Cause Cruz, that was like the, probably the height of how famous at that point, Cruz was on a, a run, and uh, when that movie was coming out, I was like Rob Reiner, Jack Nicholson. Right, there were a lot of there were a lot <laughs> of famous Cruz, people. Yeah, to be more, to be more, it was right. like okay, yeah. When when can I go see this? And Demi was married to Bruce, I think, yeah. at the time, and Tom was married to Nicole. So that, that, there was a lot of um, that was one of those rare movies. <laughs> yeah, when you when you're reading about it in Premiere magazine, like oh that's going to be a big movie, and then you see the trailer, and it's like oh that's going to be awesome, and it just hit every checkpoint, and then was it was really I think an iconic movie. Yeah, we had a fun time. We had a fun time making it too. It was, uh, it was like a really kind of uh, pleasurable um, place to go to work. One of the most rewatchable movies. Oh, good, cool. Although I don't know why he insulted. He's he at some point says to your character, "How you're a lousy softball player," but there's no right. evidence. I don't know if there's a scene. No evidence. With your softball prowess. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but he would be he would be right if he was talking about me personally. Uh, now uh, I, I'm not. I don't know about the character. And that guy, I think, I think his name is Jack, right? Smiling Jack Ross. Right. And so I've played about eight Jacks. For some reason, uh, someone pointed that out to me. Eight, uh, eight different characters named yeah, Jack? Yeah. Like, I get Jacks all the time. I don't That's know if it's bizarre. eight, but there's a lot. You've also played four Boston guys. Yeah, my my current character is Jackie. So yeah. 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 So he, that's, that's my, that might be my eighth or, or, I don't know, seventh. I'm not sure. JFK was the first, like, real, I'm going full bore character actor Part. Yeah, well, that was um, was that after a few good men. It was the year before. The year before, because right, Flatliners, JFK, few good men. Okay, so after Flatliners, um, I again not a total flop, flop, Flatliners, but not a not a not a giant uh, success. You know, not in the Pretty Woman, you know, kind of world. Footloose, you know, and uh, I, I felt a little like I was spinning my wheels. And um, I talked to uh, to an agent that I had at the time, and Paula Wagner, and she said to me, "I I think you need to get back." She was Tom's agent too. Yeah, um, you need to get back uh, on track with being a character actor. And she was a big theater fan and had seen a lot of the stuff that I'd done in New York off Broadway, and said, "You know, you used to play all these like." edgier offbeat you know characters with you know like accents and different looks and all that kind of stuff why can't we do that in the movies and uh it i said okay i'm i'm good with that she said well you know you're not gonna 
you're not going to make as much money and you're not going to be number one on the call sheet and you're not going to, the, the, you know, maybe the budgets aren't going to be as big as they were or whatever. But I think it's a cool idea. And she said, and I got, I got one that you should go and uh, uh, meet on and it's JFK and all she represented Oliver. And uh, I guess she spoke to him about me and he said, yeah, I'll meet him. We sat down, we had a, I don't know, 20 minute meeting. He talked a little bit about the movie. He said, can you be transformational with this role? And I said, yep. And he said, okay, yeah, well, so you can do that part. And uh, when that movie came out, it's one of the rare times in your life. You know how people will sometimes, maybe you've probably heard this as a you know, kind of a cliche. I've actually had somebody say this to me. Listen, let me tell you something. Your life is going to change on Monday. You know, once this opens this week, your life is going to change. <clears throat> Never happens. Uh, but this time it did. It really? really? It really did. The, the industry went, comp saw me in a completely different way. And uh, the movies that are down that list, I don't know the order of them after that, were a direct result of, of JFK. And also JFK shaped a lot of what people thought happened with the JFK assassination, even if it was his interpretation <laughs> of it. It is crazy how that worked out. But he was he was one of the hottest directors at that point. He was very hot director, and yeah. The JFK thing, it was within 30 years of when it happened, it was 28 years later. That was a really significant movie. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's also still on it's on cable and all those places a lot, which I think is funny because it's long and it's crazy <laughs> and goes 19 different directions. It does, but, yeah. It's, 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 it's crazy. Uh, but, yeah, he went for it in that movie. Yeah. He went out with Few Good Men. You're with Cruz and Nicholson. Did you learn anything from those guys? Like, especially Nicholson, he's only in four scenes, but he's, like, <laughs> legendary for the four scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, my, my favorite story about uh, Nicholson was – the famous you can't handle the truth scene, right. right? His 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 last moment on the uh, on the stand, which is brilliantly played. And and when you uh, we were on the on the lot and had um, a set for that courtroom where we spent most of the a lot of the movie, at least yeah. a lot of the movie I was in, it was you know standing in that courtroom, and um, we shot in Jack's direct direction first, of course, because he had the lion's share of the work to do in that in that scene. And there's a wide shot, and there's a medium shot, and there's a close-up, and there's a real tight close-up. And he's just fucking nailing that speech, like, time and time and time again. And now we're going to turn around and start marching back the other way with the camera and, and eventually end up on, on Tom's close-up and to me and, and me and everybody else and, you know, Kevin Pollack and who else is reacting to this, to this speech, all the people in the jury and, you know, everybody. And, you know... An actor who is at that kind of point in their career, um, A, some of them might not even stick around <clears throat> once the camera's off them. He's like, I'll see you guys later. Could be. Yeah. Or they start to give less and less and less. Nicholson just fucking kept doing that speech. So all of us had the chance to react to it. it to was like the same kind of intensity. Top that, Nicholson. Top Nicholson. And I was like, okay, yeah. He's making like six times as much money just for driving through the gate. Yeah. You know, as I will all year. But he fucking deserves it. I mean, he was killing it. And there's a generosity of of uh, performance that that is 
you know, you, that that I I respect a lot when I see that, you know, and I held on to that, and I try my best, you know, in my s- small way if I'm on a set and there's other younger people there or whatever, right? To to do the same thing. That's a great. Here's why Nicholson was one of the best ever stories. Yeah, and also, you know, the thing was is that when I was becoming an actor, he was very very important to me because. He was the, f- he was like, he had this, it's hard for me to really uh, uh, put in words, but Five Easy Pieces, for instance, one of my favorite movies, and, um, you know, The Last Detail, and, um, you know, The Shining, and, and all these movies, you know, he, he had this, uh, he was able to deliver a performance, and, and you could tell he really didn't give a shit about being liked or being appealing he was just gonna be true to who that guy was whether he was an asshole or not you yeah know? and that was an uh, a kind of an unusual thing you know for actors at that time that's an interesting point because william goldman always wrote about how the best actors never wanted to play somebody who was weak or you didn't totally like them or whatever, they would, this is during like the 60s, 70s, mm-hmm. that they would always want to gravitate toward the part where they came off the best. Right. And now it's different. Everybody wants to play, you know, the asshole or the anti-hero and stuff like that. But back then it was not like that. No, it's not like that. Yeah, he did enjoy that. Uh, oh, they, so you work with, you worked with Nicholson and Cruz. You worked with Julia Roberts. You worked with Costner and JFK. And then you work with Meryl Streep. And this is all at a four-year run. I mean, that's like at least four of the most famous actors ever. And then Nicholson and Streep are probably Mount Rushmore candidates. Yeah. And, but you're with Streep the whole time. That was I thought I liked that movie. Yeah, it was a good movie. Did that movie make money? Yeah, yeah. That was that you're the was, bad guy in that. Yeah. Was that your first bad guy? Um, no, 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 uh, no. But I can't think of what uh, what other bad guys I played. But that back then. But no, it wasn't anything left for Meryl Streep. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, Meryl uh, is the uh, you know at that time when I did that movie, she's she's she had the career, uh, which is unusual for me to say because most guys would model their career after a man, but I model my career after her as one hundred percent because because the idea to me of being an actor was really about uh, trying to walk in different people's shoes yeah. and trying to be surprising and different from the last thing that you've done, you know, and and trying to uh, make people um, lose themselves in that character that you've created as opposed to uh, having a presence and, an, and a... Um, a screen presence and a dynamism or whatever the word is yeah. that, that, that you can plug into um, different parts, but, but you're kind of the same guy all the time, you know, yeah. but she was like trans a transformational kind of actress. So, so to get a chance to um, work with her was, you know, it was a dream. I was like, Oh fuck, this is just, I can't believe I'm doing this. And, uh, and, you know, you walk into a room We walked in the room the first day of rehearsal and, uh, Struth Aaron is there and, and John C and, and, and Meryl and I, and, you know, I, and, uh, Curtis Hansen was a director and it's like the round table thing, you know, he'd been through it a million times and, and she, she, uh, what I learned from her was that 
she's hyper aware of what her uh, legend is and that about the about the you know the 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 history of her and the, the kind of how iconic she is but she does not allow anybody to stay in that mindset very long right it's like let's get to work the, this is what we need to do and most importantly being an actor and being a superstar you know you can see it as a very isolating kind of thing i think i think movie acting can be a very isolating kind of thing but if you start out on the stage and you know i i saw you know i saw her in uh, in um, the cherry orchard during the 1977 blackout down at lincoln wow. center the night the lights went out um if you if you uh, start out on the stage then you understand that your job is to play the play and your job is to play the scene. And the only way that that's going to work is if the other actors are in the same play and in the same scene with you. Now, whether or not they're going to be as good, who knows? Yeah. But you have to, you have to be looking at them. You have to be talking to them. They have to be part of this process, whether the part is big or the part is small, that's going to make the movie good, the scene good and her good. And hopefully you know, we'll get a little of that. By the too. way, that I've had Saturday Night Live people on this podcast, and they say it's the same way for a sketch for that show. Mm -hmm. Like, even if you have the part with one line, you've got to be all in on that smaller part because it helps everybody else. I had uh, Pacino was did this pod like a, probably like a year and a half ago, and he told this story about Meryl Streep about he was, you know, buddies with John Cazale because they were in Godfather together, they knew each other, and then he was like. I, John Cazale was saying, dating this girl, she's going to be the biggest, best mm. actress ever. And he's like, yeah, right. And it was Meryl Streep. Yeah. But he was like, she's going to be the best ever to live, ever to do this. Yeah, it's cool. And then it actually happened. So you had, then you work with Tom Hanks, who also, turns out he was kind of famous too, but Apollo 13, which was a giant movie. Yeah. And I felt like, at that point, they, I would say like 92, 93, they figured out how to eventize certain movies. That were not the superhero movies stuff, but that was just like, oh, cool. Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon, and these guys are all going to go to the moon, and Ron Howard's directing. It's uh -huh. like, great. in the poster, <laughs> and you could just kind of see uh -huh. how it's going to play out. But that's a movie that I think is held up to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it. But Give me uh, one Hank story. Oh, wow. Um, one time, we were, uh, me and, well, it was, you know, me and Bill and Tom, um, we spent a lot of time in that capsule together. We 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 even went up in the in the zero gravity airplane to shoot in the in the KC one thirty five. Are you aware of that? So 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 that, you were all in on every experience you could have that resembled the astronauts. Well, we were, yeah, especially especially Hanks because he literally was ready to fly, <laughs> like. The rocket. I mean, yeah. he he's so into space and and was so like deeply researched in this kind of stuff that he he was really really super into it. Bill was into it too. Me, you know, you know, not quite as much. But um, one of the ways, one of the things that we did in terms of our training was we went up in an, in this airplane, which is basically like a it's a big airplane, it's like a seven twenty seven or something. Yeah, and it's called the Vomit Comet, uh, the KC one thirty five. You fly out over the Gulf of Mexico. And the pilot uh, pulls a joystick straight back, and you, you go straight up, and then you dive. 
and you go straight up and you dive and you go straight up and you go do this roller coaster thing. And as you come over the top, this is the only way on Earth to create zero gravity because gravity just doesn't go away. Yeah. I mean, you can work in a tank, a water tank a little bit, and you can kind of sort of try to duplicate it. But people, even me, I had this idea, well, you go into an anti-gravity chamber, right? There's no such thing. So you have 28 seconds or 25 seconds or something of complete zero gravity because, not to get too technical, but the centrifugal force that is whipping you away from the Earth's uh, gravity balances with gravity as you go over the top of this thing, this parabola, for 25 seconds. It's incredibly nauseating, but it is magical because you're floating. And 25 seconds is a pretty long time when you can fly from one end of the plane to the other like Peter Pan. Yeah. Um, and so we went up there to experience it, and we went out and we did... Uh, I guess about 40 of these things, 20 out and 20 back, came back down, you know, kissed the tarmac, called my wife, said, honey, you know, uh, the kids are going to have a father. I'm back. And now we can go back to Hollywood and make the movie. And Ron was talking to uh, Spielberg and Spielberg said, why work with harnesses? And, you know, in these days, in this, in those days, you know, trying to create, it wasn't like, oh, we'll just, uh, you know, we'll paint it out like like digital right. effects are now. I mean, it's like, you know. It seemed like 1% fake. Yeah. Maybe was, even more. Yeah, it was really hard to do and time consuming. And so why don't you build a set up there and just go up and, and shoot scenes in zero, actual zero gravity. And Ron came back to us and said, guys, guys, this is what we're going to do. And uh, <laughs> uh, I was like, you're fucking kidding me. And we ended up doing it. Hanks like, is all in. Oh, Hanks is all in. Hanks is like, great. 100%. This sounds great. No, he's 100% there. And so is Bill. Hey, yeah, yeah, man, that's great. I can't wait. Um, rest in peace. I love that dude. He was such a such a great, enthusiastic person. And um, so uh, we went down to Houston and uh, stayed down there, and we did it 600 times. Oh, my God. Yeah. Did yeah. you feel like you were go? your brain was yep. like... I can't even imagine. It was it was crazy, but I and, feel fucked up when I fly and land. Yeah, I'm like weird for five hours. No, it was really, really, it was really, really crazy on the brain. But also because they give you this co this cocktail of of two drugs uh, to take before you go up, which is going to combat the nausea. And I don't know if you've ever taken a Dramamine, but this is like Dramamine yeah. times ten. But the thing about Dramamine is it makes you kind of tired. Yeah. So you got to take this other thing, which is basically speed to combat the Dramamine. So we'd have this cocktail every morning um, and uh, and one would kick in earlier than the other. You never knew which one was going to kick in. And, and one day, um, uh, Hanks and Paxton decided that they were going to go, um, you know, commando and do it without <laughs> the drugs. And oh, no. Oh, my God. They were absolutely green. They didn't puke. Um, we didn't puke. We we got thrown up on. Well, a cameraman threw up on us one time. And, and what was really crazy is that the the. the I wouldn't even think of that. You have cameraman too. Yeah, we have cameraman sound oh, guy. God. Yeah. Well, I guess the sound guy wasn't. I, I mean, we might have. Yeah, I guess we did record some sound. I can't remember. But the the vomit was floating, and then you see it floating there, and you're going to go out of zero G. And you're like, oh shit! Here, and you got to you know get out of the way of the vomit. <laughs> Um, so, so, so I, I don't know if that's a Tom Hanks story, but I'll, I'll, I can tell you that the, ne the, ne the next time we went up, I think they were back on the drugs. I, I think they only tried that one day. Did you have like withdrawal from the two drugs waking up every morning? Yes. 
Yeah, you had I to. had very, very strange dreams. I had out of body floating over my body dreams, and uh, yeah, it was a bizarre. It was, it was bizarre. I mean, even without the drugs, the the uh, just the experience of of being there. Because if you weren't in the scene, because sometimes it was just me, or sometimes it was just um, you know Tom, or just Tom and Bill, or whatever. And we're moving between the uh, you know the command module and the and the lem, and there's this tunnel and. If you weren't in the actual scene or in the actual shot, you had the whole back of the plane to play. So during these, these, it's, it's almost like a, a giant padded cell. Uh, during these 25 seconds, we would, uh, you know, play football and, and yeah. uh, do flips and dance around. And it was great. Since Sleepers is the next year, and I feel like this is when the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon started, right around there, right? Mid-90s. You, you've been in with so many stars that... I don't know when it started. Do you even? When did you know that that was a thing? Mid nineties, I think. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. If but it was somewhere around there. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah, there were a lot of stars in Sleepers. Yeah. Yeah, Sleepers yeah. was loaded because De Niro's like secretly in Sleepers for he's a priest, but uh-huh. that movie's good. Yeah, I think that movie held up. You you don't somehow that wasn't the worst character you've ever played, but um, <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Yeah, it was funny because um, I was reading it. I, I didn't have the script, but Barry sent me the book. You know, we'd worked together in diners. Yeah. So he sent me the book, and he said. Hey, I want you to play a part in this. And uh, I was reading it, and he told me the name of the part. And I'm going through, and there's all these other guys that are kind of like, you know, all described as sort of like, you know, handsome and edgy and all these kind of interesting, you know, parts. And they grew up, and da, da, da. and I'm like, no, it's not him, nothing. And then I get to that guy, you know, the abusive prison guard with yeah. the, with the, 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 the billy club that's people. working over, over time. And I was like, of course, that's the part <laughs> I got to play. Noakes. So did you like the six degrees thing or did you get a kick out of it? Or were you like, ah, oh, fuck. Uh, you know, I didn't like it at first. I, I, I thought it was a joke at my expense, you know? Really? Um, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I thought, you know, I don't know. I think you, you, you know, you've talked to, today about, um, you know, working alongside all of the, all of the right. greats. So, you know, I kind of felt like I was the guy that worked alongside the greats, but not one of them. So that I thought the idea of the game was like, isn't this interesting? That oh, just this, this random kind of light, dude who this, worked with yeah, this thing? That this lightweight could be connected to something like Olivier or oh, something Oh, that's like interesting. That. I didn't feel that way at all from that. I was just like, this well, guy's had an awesome career. He's, with, he's worked with all these people, yeah, you know, even yeah. in the moment. Well, you know, that's that's just the actor's thing. Last big one. Well, we, I mean, there's a million to talk about, but I, we don't have to go through everything. But um, Mr. Griver, that was your first Boston character. Yeah. So how'd you do the accent? What was what was the practice? Because then you had to do it for three more things. Well, yeah, it was funny because... Because uh, you're a Philly guy. We don't we don't really yeah. like Philly. I'm from Boston. Are we you from Boston? Yeah, we don't really like Philly that much. No, I know. Um, and I hardly ever get anything in Philly. I did, I did a Philly accent actually in, in Sleepers, um, which was kind of fun because that's an accent that rarely gets done when people um do working class people from philly they, they often make them sound like they're from brooklyn you know but um which is a uh, annoying to me well the boston one they always make them sound like jfk which drives me crazy right it's like no that's not how you do it yeah what's um, the philly accent can you do it yeah sure um i don't know i'm i'm going down the wow i'm gonna get a hoagie and a coke what kind of coke are you gonna get i don't know diet why are you getting diet because i'm on a diet you know, it's like, yeah, where are you going this summer down ashore? It's the only place in the, it's the only place in, uh, is that I know in the world where you don't go to the beach, 
You don't go to the seaside. You go down the shore. That was solid. Wait, so with the Boston accent, can you do it on Commander? Or do you need like a no, I coach? can't really do that on Commander. Because you're, you're in the Showtime show now, and you have to do it the whole time. I do, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting about Boston. I, 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 I feel that uh, nobody from Boston ever likes anybody doing a Boston accent, in fact, including people from Boston. I literally had a talk yeah. recently with someone who was from Boston who was talking about an actor that was born and raised in Boston and now he's got a terrible Boston accent. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. And so, I mean, I... That's I, why I couldn't watch Ray Donovan. I was uh, I was out on two of the accents. I'm like, I'm out. I'm well, out. I, I, I let myself off the hook with it because I, I feel like... I know, I know Jackie's voice. Yeah. Jackie's voice is... I hear, I hear it. It's not just the way that he... The, not just the sound, not just the eyes, it, or whatever it happens to be. It's the it's it's the uh, the music, the way it the way it where it lives in my head, like the actual placement of the voice, the how it interacts with the body. Um, there's a lot of things that go into. Plus, you know characters named Jack. Yeah, I know Jack. Yeah, right. He's re- intimately familiar with the eight you Jacks you Jack. played. Remember that? Yeah, you don't, you don't know Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I know Jack. So. This shit, you had never, you'd done I Love Dick. Right. But uh, you never, yeah, TV-wise. I had done just, The Following. The Following was the first one I did. Oh, I yeah, did. I like The Following. I did three years on The Following, yeah. Fox. Um, On Fox, yeah. Um, and But that, this was your first anti-hero. Yeah, this is the first, Um, yeah, I don't even know if I call him an showtime. anti-hero. He's just anti. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing that there's never a scene in this show where I'm not doing something, saying something, uh, taking something, snorting something, eating something, it's completely drinking something inappropriate. Well, what mean, is it? Late? It's 89, 90? It's Boston? 92. 92. Yeah. yeah. So you're able to get away with even more because Boston in the early 90s was pretty inappropriate yeah. in a lot of different ways. Yeah, in a lot of this different ways. This guy's yeah. a reflection. I'm of, a reflection of that. of that. And the show is kind of. Uh, supposed to be t- telling will be telling the story of things taking a turn for the better and um aldous hodge plays a character named of course ward who is a he's young, really good yeah he's awesome yeah uh assistant district attorney who is a very kind of idealistic not from boston but from brooklyn it comes to boston and has an uh, idealistic um uh goal to try to kind of clean things up and my character is from another era uh, to say the least. Old school Boston. Old school. and You've seen some stuff. Seen some stuff. Seen some stuff in the 60s, stuff. 70s. You've been in the combat zone a few times. Know where the bodies are buried. In fact, some, maybe some of those bodies are my responsibility. You right. Know? And, and I, I see in this guy an opportunity to uh, use him uh, and maybe corrupt him. I, I, I recognize in him a, a certain ambition that I might be able to, you know... Uh, uh, used to my advantage. You tell your wife like sexy in episode one. It's, uh, it's happening. Yeah, it's, she, it's yet another one. Yeah, she know she's she knows she's directed the show. Yeah, she directed episode seven. We didn't have any. I didn't have any sex scenes in episode seven. I told you before we started taping. Um, your wife was the queen of grunge. She's in singles, <laughs> right, yeah. singles and reality bites. I think she's the queen, and Winona Ryder's the princess. <laughs> singles and reality bites for those two things. But it was like. For anyone my age, that was such like a distinctive movie. Sure, and it's sure. Like, and it's there were actual a, there were actual some I think 
who was maybe Eddie Vedder was in the movie. Oh, Eddie Vedder's in it. Or Chris Cornell's in, in the movie. Eddie Vedder and Jeff Amen are in uh, are in uh, Matt Dillon's band. Oh, they're in his yeah, band. And they have right. like speaking parts right. and stuff. But right. like Soundgarden's in it, right. all these things. So yeah. it's kind of became that movie really. It's cool. But it's yeah, the it was cool. It was such a it was such an era. You know? Your and your band is still going. Yeah, we're still going. Yeah. We we put the band together in ninety four, just put a new single out like last week called Play and uh Doing a lot of writing right now. I'm in a little bit of a writer's bloom, and we're about to hit the road on Saturday and uh, tour this summer. And so, uh, when you tour, where do you go? We go all over the country. We're starting in uh, on the East Coast, going down south, ending up in uh, Florida, kind of down the eastern seaboard, and then uh, then we're going out uh, after that to Vegas, and then coming down back up the West Coast. Uh, then a few days off, and then we're going Midwest, and you know. Like that. What do your kids think of this? Of uh, me playing? Yeah, dad touring. Uh, they well, my son is a is a musician and has been um, since he was a little boy uh, and has done uh, more touring than I have. Yeah. So he he we can certainly relate to it. Because um, I'm always amused when my dad's doing anything, <laughs> and now I get the feeling from my kids that when I do anything, they're just amused by. Yeah, and not totally in a good way. Well, no, no, we don't. We don't have that uh, that kind of thing where they're they're old enough now that they're not embarrassed by everything that we do. And my daughter's an actress, and and we have it's it's nice. I mean, I had um, it was my bir- yesterday was my birthday, and I had dinner dinner with them, just the four of us, my wife and, and my two kids. And That's I, cool. And uh, we it's it's we're we're at a very good place in our relationship all of us and we're able to um discuss things uh and and be supportive of each other and in in a in a really good way we've we've never shoved our um careers and the things that we do down my kids throats they've seen very few of my movies or kira's movies i don't think either one of them has seen footloose or singles for instance just because we mentioned those two um, God, I would be the opposite. I would watch like every movie my dad made if my dad was an actor. I'd be fascinated by yeah, the, just even the hairstyles and what they <laughs> look like in the movie. It's like these home movies of your parent. Well, except that they're not because you're not yourself. You True. Know, you know, you, and and I think that that's the you, you put your finger on it. And that watching a home movie, I think they would be very like they love to do that we used to make home movies all the time and they were, yeah they still will go back and, and watch home movies because they get a big kick out of that based on funny things like hair and my dad's being an asshole or whatever it happens <laughs> right. to be but to see to have your father or your mother be pretending to be somebody else is it's a little yeah, i guess that would be disorienting it's a little disorienting yeah I think. and they want they want they don't want to keep they want to keep you in a place in their heart that that is is more um, grounded and 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 not like oh look my dad just you know killed somebody or kissed another woman or right. or or you know whatever mom's you know taking a shower you know what I mean it's like you don't you don't need to see that if you're a kid the fact that you've been with your wife for this long is abnormal yeah actor and actress dating getting married it usually doesn't seem like it has a shelf life for that long. It, I don't think it does, but I also don't know if I've ever seen the statistics that it's any worse for actors as it is for anybody <laughs> That's else. a good point. Uh, come on, nobody <laughs> stays married. Marriage is a joke. It doesn't work. I mean, people date, and then they break up. They yeah. stay together for, what? What's the average? I don't know, 10 years, 12 I'm years? A ch- I'm a children of divorce, so I'm pre- you're preaching the choir. Um, favorite movie you ever made? Me, favorite movie I ever made? Yeah. Oh, wow. 
You don't have one? <laughs> Not really. No, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't, uh, I, 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 I've seen them when they came out, but I don't go back. There's only a couple that I've ever gone back and seen again. I saw Tremors again only because I was developing that as a television series. But um, How about most memorable director you ever worked with? Huh. I guess Clint, you know, that's that's what pops into my mind because, you know, he was such an icon. I wasn't expecting that answer. Um, yeah, he, he taught me a lot about um, how much uh, wasted um, energy and um, complications there were about uh, on on sets and in the process and how quiet simplicity and focus on the work uh, can be um, just as powerful as people running around and screaming and, and kind of cha a chaotic workspace. And I also really admire, admired him for his, um, you know, how he handled being the biggest movie star in the world for so long. And then also starting to direct when he was very young and do movie after movie after yeah. movie after movie. And so many of them are just, you know, masterpieces. And, and, uh, uh, he was, it was, it was a great, it was a great experience. I mean, I think we all loved that experience, but. And he's, he's a gigantic guy. Yeah, he is. It's like six, four. No, he's big. Yeah, he's big. Intimidating. And, and he's Clint Eastwood. He's, he's intimidating. Killed people in movies. No, he is definitely, he is definitely, everybody, um, stops, fucking around when he walks on the set. I can imagine. There's no doubt about it's like that. fucking dirty hairs here. Yeah. But I mean, shit, I mean, you know, I've had, you know, whatever, Ron Howard and Rob yeah. Reiner and I'll I think Stone the thing and... with Eastwood Yo's hair is just like no nonsense, bang it out. Right. He's not a 99 takes for a scene guy. Oh, my God, just no. Just like no, show up prepared, do your no, shit. he would literally sometimes say, okay, let's rehearse this scene over here. And I, I started to see him... Um, you know, lean a lot of times with, with day players, he would do this. People that he thought thought would get kind of nervous once the thing was the camera was turned on, and he would lean over and say to the uh, the cameraman, "Just you know, just flick flick the switch and shoot it." And then uh, the rehearsal would end, and he'd say, "Okay, that's it." And we'd walk away, and the actor would be standing there going, "Well, what about?" And he'd say, oh, "I got it," you know. And so I saw that quite a few times. I, to, I mean, one of the coolest things that I, that I learned from him was that, um, you know, this, the, the process of, of, of leading up to action is oftentimes a very, very uh, tense one. And it gets dialed up and dialed up and dialed up. And people say, rolling camera, quiet, screaming, yelling, all this fucking, you know, craziness. And then action. And someone takes a slate and just fucking slant. Bam! You know, slams a slate in front of your face. We had none of that. There was no open walkies. There was none of this, like, yelling, rolling. He would just say, uh, he didn't even say action. He would say, go ahead. And uh, <laughs> and you get to the end, he'd say, that's enough of that. And um, the the, uh, the the the, the uh, assistant cameraman would, like, barely touch the slate. And, you know, the only reason for, the you know, slate marks what the which take it is, et cetera. And then in theory, the, the sound guys are lining up, you know, the clap of the, of the, of the sticks with the, with the sound so that the sound is, is lined up. And yes, that's true. You have to hear the slate, but you don't have to hear it at, you know, 150 dB. You, you can, if, if I'm about to talk like this, you don't need a, a slate you don't need to be like that. Jolted. It's, it's crazy. Right. So he said he learned this from 
doing um I'm trying to think what the TV show was that he was on. It was a Western. Oh, it was uh, like Gunsmoke or one of those. It wasn't yeah, Gunsmoke. It wasn't Gunsmoke, but, but it was like... maybe or, or... I can't remember. Anyway. I can't remember either. Um, and he said, you know, and in general, Westerns, you know, you'd line up, you have like, you know, six guys and a bunch of horses, and they'd, they'd take out the slate and they'd, you know, turn the, you know, turn the cameras on. They, they smack the slate and the horses would all scatter, jump up, and everyone's like trying to control them and all. And he said, you know, if this is doing this to horses, this has got to be doing it to actors. Yeah. Actors have to be feeling the same way. And that was a great, just, just that concept in itself to me became important to me. And I've tried to learn to, um, to try to live, try not to make too big a difference between who, where you are before the camera turns on yeah. and where you are after the camera turns on. So there's a little bit more of a, a, a flow. It's hard to explain, but no, uh, that made sense. I like nice, quiet sticks. When, and what have you directed? I directed uh, a movie for Showtime that uh, Kira acted and produced and, uh, and uh, Helen Mirren was one of the first um, American jobs that she ever had, and, and she got a Golden Globe for it, which wow. I was very proud of her for. Did you like it? Like directing? Oh, yeah, I loved it, yeah. And and I directed four episodes of The Closer, which Kira was on. Yeah. Um, I directed... <laughs> uh, Kira's a, that, that show was a monster. Yeah, it was a monster. Was yeah. it, how many years was that on? Eight years, eight years. Jesus. Yeah, and then I did another... Uh, we did another film called Lover Boy uh, that uh, she was in and a whole bunch of other people, a little uh, kind of art house movie that, um, that, that she produced. And, um, I've done, uh, some shorts and, you know, um, some videos for the band stuff like that. I feel like you have an intense indie in you. I would. Yeah. I've, I've, I've gotten close on a few that I've either developed or been attached to and they're hard. I love them. Um, and I love them as a, as a consumer, and they're harder and harder to Get make funded, and harder yeah. and harder to find an audience for. But yeah, I would love to do that. But nowadays, Netflix, Amazon, all these places, like right. they're just looking for content. Well, this is great. You, you've, you've been in my life for a long time. I mm-hmm. think you've had an extraordinary career. Thank you. I was psyched to be able to talk to you about it. Good Thanks. luck with the show. Good luck with the band. Thank you so much. All right.